You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you. Yay, Dan. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Got a friend up here. All right. Um, everybody say faith. Have you ever been told that you don't have enough faith? I mean, <laughs> I have plenty of times. Uh, but raise your hand if you've ever been told you don't have enough faith. Not by the Lord, but by like someone else pretending to be the Lord. Um, here's what I want to crush this morning, hopefully. Any idea that you don't have enough faith is just absurd. Okay, I'm going to pray first and I'll explain why. Father, we, just, we thank you for your faith. Um, God, even the word indicates that we are the beneficiaries of the faith of Jesus, that it's not just in our own strength and our own muscle to flex, but it's actually the thing that you're persuaded of, that we get to be under the grace of. And so, God, I just pray for your faith to be known this morning. God, just put something in our heart um, that would bridge faith and, um, into everyday life, God. God, that we could learn the rhythm and know what it really means to follow you, not in these vast storylines that are sometimes out of reach, but just in the middle of everyday spaces, God, where you want to come and invite yourself into. Father, we trust you. We love you. Amen. Okay, so here's what I want to say over us this morning. You're a people of great faith. Here's how I know that. Raise your hand if you drove to church this morning. Great faith. Okay, here's why. How many guys... You don't have to keep raising your hand all morning. This is an interactive message. Uh, but how many of you guys pressed the brake pedal when you got in the parking lot? Hopefully all of you did. Um, but that was an act of faith. It means that you believe something was true, and therefore, without even, without even, uh, even thinking about it, you acted and pressed the pedal. You believed the car would stop, therefore you pressed the pedal. That's an act of faith. Right? It's an act of great faith. Um, there's this illusion sometimes in Christianity that we need massive faith to move mountains, but that's so anti-Jesus because Jesus said mustard seed faith was enough, really small faith, right? Um, I'll tell you a quick story about a stupid thing I've done. Um, one time, a friend of mine was driving his car. We were with them, and we were coming through downtown Boone, which was like 25 miles an hour, and his accelerator got stuck on the car. If you've never had this happen, I recommend you try it sometime. It was it was a great rush. Um, and so we're going like 60 miles an hour in downtown Boone. My friend is uh, standing on the brake pedal with both feet, pulling on the steering wheel, trying to get the car to stop. And it's just like this weird, tense, jerking thing happening. But the brakes weren't enough to stop the car. And so we're screaming. Um, not out of panic, we just, that's how we talk. And so we're screaming, I wasn't afraid, you were. And so we're, we're screaming, we're like, dude, pull over. There's this road to the right that's straight up hills. Like, hit the hill, man, it'll slow the car down and we'll all live, you know. So he veers off, we go up this steep road, and the car kind of slows down to about, I don't know, maybe 30 miles an hour. But it's not stopping. And in a moment of crisis, me and my other friends see a window of opportunity. And so uh, we're like, hey, man, we got to go. <laughs> and so we open the door and we jump out of the car because uh, we had faith that we were going to die that day. 
And so by faith, we jumped out of a moving vehicle. Now, luckily, my friend, somehow the car just randomly obeyed and stopped, and he was fine, and it was all good, and uh, a couple scrapes, we were were fine too. Um, But because we believe something, we, we did something, and this is what faith looks like. Now, what does the same faith look like if there's no action? If I believe the car will stop, but I don't have the action of pressing the pedal, then the car crashes. If I believe that, um, you know, the building's on fire, but I don't actually physically leave the building, I'm going to get burned, right? If I believe something to be true, but I don't partner it with an action, then faith really isn't complete. It's just something that I believe. In fact, I want to read a couple um, thoughts here this morning. Um, but first, James 2.26 says this really simple truth. As the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without deeds is dead. And this is talking about action. It's talking about this idea of work, but not work in the sense of performance work. And I'll uh, fix that a little bit later. But as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith means that I've been persuaded about something. Which means to be persuaded but have no action might be the indicator that I'm not actually persuaded about something. And too often in our, quote, faith, we're trying to fix fix the action, which can sometimes be important, but oftentimes we really need to go back and fix the persuasion. Because if I really, truly believe the car is going to crash, I'm going to jump out of the car, right? You don't have to convince me. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do a pros and cons. I don't have to make a list. I don't have to come to some well-educated or thought-out decision because belief takes over and we just respond. You understand that Jesus had enormous faith and he lived a life of constant response. And that response was the overflow of what Jesus believed to be true, what he was, was persuaded about Uh, by about the Father. This was the overflow of Jesus' life. In fact, Hebrews talks about people of great faith in Hebrews 11. It says this. It says by, well, I'm not going to read it, but paraphrase it. By faith, Abel brought an offering. By faith, Noah built a boat. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Moses led the people out into the Red Sea. By faith, they marched around Jericho. Now these are people of great faith. And these weren't people of great faith just because they believed something. These were people of great faith because they did something. These were so many times imperfect people, unqualified people. But these were people who are now celebrated as great faith, hall of faith people, simply because they did something. They believed something and therefore they did something. James 2.22 or 2.21-23 says... Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? And again, I'm going to fix this in a minute because I don't want us to teeter into this realm of uh, performance. But it says, was he not considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. In other words, he believed something. But that the completion of this thing that God invited him into was made complete by his response to what he believed. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. I love that this is kind of 
in the context of this verse because it means to believe God isn't just I believe a truth about God. It's that I've actually partnered with him in faith about what I believe. Amen. Jesus, Jesus was partnered with the Father and the world was changed, right? And so if I'm going to have faith, I don't have to have enormous faith. Sometimes the greatest faith gets knocked over and in cra- gains crazy momentum just by the simplest of actions. Again, uh, by faith, Abel brought an offering. That wasn't that hard, right? Noah built a boat. That's kind of hard, but uh, still, he, he did what he knew how to do, right? By faith, Abraham just went. Same concept from a few weeks ago when we talked about grace. I can believe all I want about God's grace on this side of the shore, um, but, but it's just something to celebrate until I actually walk in the middle of it. When I actually take the steps of walking in it and living in it, that's when it becomes powerful. And a faith life, this idea of being persuaded about who God is and following Jesus into these everyday rhythms becomes powerful and made complete by the actions that we respond with. And those actions are important because God invites us into partnership. Amen. So what friendship and following Jesus looks like. Amen. Here's the tricky part. We overlook how simple it is sometimes to live by faith. Okay. When we talk about faith, we instantly think about miracles, signs, wonders, all good stuff. But that's not necessarily a life of faith. That's moments of faith, right? And so usually when it comes to living by faith, we get disillusion that the smallest things can go the longest distance. And we overlook practical, simple things that God wants us to do in moments of our lives that would make all the difference in how we live our lives but sometimes we reduce it to not being significant enough. I tell you, Jesus just did some of the most hidden things that changed the world, right? Jesus wasn't trying to be seen with his faith. Jesus wasn't trying to be noticed. He wasn't trying to build his ministry. He wasn't trying to gain followers. He had plenty, but that wasn't his goal. Jesus was simply living a life of being persuaded about who the Father was and living a life in response to it. And through that, things changed. Amen? Um, sometimes we try really, really hard by faith to gain something or to get somewhere when the smallest action would shift everything. But sometimes we just simply have to do what's possible. I want to think about this idea that um, what's impossible is usually on the other side of what is possible. Okay? Here's what lazy faith looks like. I don't want to invite God to do the impossible if I've declined his invitation to do my possible. Does that make sense? I don't want to say, God, come, you know, move the mountain, change the world and all these things. I don't want to invite God to do the impossible if I've declined his invitation to do what's possible for me. God is the steward of the impossible, but we're the steward of the possible. Yeah? I also want to mention this. I don't like a a Christianity that reduces itself to self-help and practicality to the point it's just silly. But I also don't like a version of Christianity that doesn't want to help itself. Amen? Uh, (laughs) Come on. I I have to be careful with my examples. Uh, uh, Not to offend anyone. Well, I'll skip that one. I'll skip that. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me. 
Now you want to know what it was. Uh, Isn't that awesome? That's how faith works. Uh, What does it mean to do the possible though? See, all these great faith guys were just doing what was possible. They believed God for the impossible, but they were doing what was possible. The truth is, Noah couldn't make it rain or stop the flood, but he could build a boat. So the impossible was on the other side of his possible, right? Abraham couldn't create his own promise, but he could get up and go. So his impossible was on the other side of his possible. Moses couldn't turn the rock into a water fountain, but he could hit it with a stick. Uh, He couldn't part the sea, but he could raise a staff and stretch out his hand. Uh, The woman with the issue of blood couldn't heal herself, nor could the doctors, but she could fight her way through a crowd and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. The 120 couldn't fill themselves with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and plant churches and be empowered and heal the sick and raise the dead and look like Jesus, but they could wait in an upper room. So what they couldn't do was on the other side of what they could do. Amen. So I don't want a faith life that says, hey, um, God, you're so good and you're sovereign. I'm going to sit in the cave and wait for you to do it. That's not partnering with God and that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus recognizes that he's the steward of the impossible. But it puts this responsibility, the ability to respond to this realm where we're the steward of what is possible. God, I can get up and walk when you say walk. That's what I'm responsible for, right? Um, I can... Do my side, trusting that God will do his side. Here's an example. Matthew 14, 27. Greatest hits Bible verse. Everybody knows the story. And let me say this before we read this. God often invites us into the realm of faith um, by asking us to do something we actually already know how to do. Okay? Here's an example. This is Jesus is walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. There's the scene. It says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter's response, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Here's the most powerful word. Walked on the water and came toward Jesus miracle moment when we think about faith this is kind of the stories we go to right um, like walking on water and flying in circles and nothing's different except the location Peter knows how to walk it's not the first step that he's taken this isn't Peter's baby steps in the natural Jesus is inviting Peter into a new space to do something that he already knows how to do. The thing that's changed is the location in which Peter is doing it. And so many times when it comes to faith, God is asking us to do something we already know how to do and we trick ourselves. And we pray, God, do the impossible. Meanwhile, the impossible of God is just sitting there on the other side of the possible of me. Saying, hey, if you just walk, if you just get up, if you would just go. And here's Peter. And I always thought it was crazy Peter got the bad rap of like little faith and um, not to rabbit trail. But little faith didn't mean the quantity. It was talking more about the duration of Peter's faith. In other words, why did you stop being persuaded? Why did you stop believing? 
Um, but I always thought it was interesting that he kind of gets scolded seemingly, and the other guys didn't even get mentioned. At least Peter tried, right? You think at least a participation ribbon or something, you know, for getting out of the boat. But isn't it fascinating that he says, Peter, come, and Peter walked on water. It's fascinating to me. The location's totally different, though. Peter's doing what Peter knew how to do. And I don't know if Peter was conscious of this, but somewhere he understood, maybe from following Jesus up to this point, but he understood that what he couldn't do was on the other side of what he could do. And the life of faith is this standing invitation of Jesus saying, Hey, just come. Come into this space. Come into this moment. Come into this rhythm in the middle of your everyday life. doesn't have to be hard. doesn't have to be weighty. doesn't have to be exhausting. Most of the time, it's hidden underneath the practical thing that you already know how to do. I'm just inviting you to do it in a new space. See, Peter's paradigm, and you know Peter's story, so it kind of baffles you that he would deny Jesus later, but you would think this is one of those paradigm-shifting moments where he's just forever changed. And I'm sure on many levels he was. But it's these pivotal moments of faith where God shapes and conditions us for the supernatural. Amen? Peter's walking on water with Jesus. What he couldn't do was on the other side of what he could do, which is walk. Now, change comes... Because we follow God in this way. We do the thing we can do. Usually, and this is what's hard about faith sometimes. It's not the action of faith usually that's the challenge. It's the when and where God invites us to do it that's the challenge. Walking for Peter wasn't a problem, but the when and where, man, that was the challenge. We're going to walk while it's windy and while there's water. These aren't the conditions for walking. This is where faith gets crazy. God says, hey, here's a new space I want to bring you into. Just do the thing you know how to do. I'll take care of the rest. Do what's possible for you. I'll take care of what you think is impossible on my side. And this is God's people throughout history. Every person in that uh, Hebrews 11 uh, chapter that's talking about their great faith. These were people who were stepping into crazy spaces, doing what they could do, but trusting God with what they couldn't do because they understood that the impossible was on the other side of what they could do. Um, So faith is so much more about us following Jesus in ways that we know how, but in new locations. Maybe it's a certain avenue of your life. Maybe it's the time of your life that God's inviting you to do something very simple, but would change everything. Um, Faith's not that hard when we learn to do simple actions. I just think sometimes that we overlook it. Um, Here's where I want to fix maybe a little bit of performance, because I hate performance. And that's why I asked you, Have you ever been told that you don't have enough faith? Because that's a performance-driven mindset. Um, And here's also what's true. Outcomes change when we do what we know how to do in different ways. Here's a practical example. I know how to deposit money. Okay? If I deposit it in checking, it's going to get spent. Right? Outcomes change when I put it somewhere else. 
If I put it in savings, it's going to get saved. Supposed to anyway, right? If I deposit it in investments, it's going to grow, right? It's the same thing I know how to do. It's just the when and where I do it that determines a different outcome. When it comes to faith, sometimes God's not calling you to learn a new thing. He's just telling you to do the same thing in a different when and where. He's inviting you in different times, different seasons, and different spaces to do the thing that's already possible for you to do. It doesn't have to be that hard. But when we're stuck sometimes in performance, it can hinder us. So uh, Matthew seven twenty four, Jesus gives us this principle. And you can go back and read this full chapter. I'm pulling the principle out of the full context. But he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Everybody say practice. I don't always like this word, but Jesus says it, so we got to do it. And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, anyone who hears this, believes it, celebrates it, amens, turn to their neighbor, all that kind of stuff, but doesn't actually practice it, means it's incomplete. It's dysfunctional. It doesn't work. You can be persuaded about this glorious truth about God and what he's done for us as it pertains to the gospel, but without response to it, it's incomplete. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, doesn't mean you're not saved, that's not even what he's talking about in, in, in these passages. It means that it's not functioning and that heaven's not coming on you. God's trying to partner with us, which means heaven and earth become one. They're colliding, his world and ours. The impossible and the possible. The veil gets so thin that now people are walking on water. The sick are healed, the dead are raised. But more importantly, that families are whole. Right? Acts of faith don't always look like some miraculous walk on water moment. Sometimes it just looks like my family life is whole. Sometimes it looks like I know how to steward things the way that he would steward things. Right? Sometimes... It's hard for us to see what God's doing and put it into practice. And if you're like me, um, I, I'm just such an anti-performance. It's like a trigger for me. And I had to overcome that years ago because I realized I became so passive and inactive and I lost the ability to respond. And so I believed beautiful things about the grace of God and the truth of God, but I wasn't actually walking in it. It wasn't bringing victory into my life. Victory's over my life, but it functioning in my life is based on my ability to respond to what I believe is true, right? And when it, we practice something, take the car for example. The reason you can drive a car here this morning and stop the car, press the brake pedal, is because somewhere when you were 16 or whatever age, you practiced hitting the brake pedal. You consciously thought about it. You practiced it a few times, a few more times, and now you can drive a two-hour trip down the road and end up where you're going and don't even remember driving there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's called space brain, right? Why? Because in our subconscious, we've practiced something so much that it's now in the wiring of who we are and how we are. So I hit the brake. I'm not thinking about the brake. Here's evidence we make faith too hard. We look down at the brake. We call the intercessors. Get everybody together. We strategize how we're going to hit the brake. First, we bind the strong man. We figure out who's blocking us from the brake, right? We've got to figure out all the hoops and the things, and we're analyzing. And then we start prophesying that the car is going to stop, right? 
like, come on, y'all, the car's going to stop in Jesus' name. We're throwing stuff at it, and the car's not stopping. We're all like this, waiting on the Lord. <laughs> but no one's actually hitting the brake. You can prophesy the car's going to stop as much as you want, but just hit the stupid brake. You understand, we make, gosh, we make so much faith stuff so hard. And I feel like God sometimes, and this is just me, he, this may be totally wrong, but sometimes I feel like God's just saying, would you just shut up and hit the brake? Just do what you can do. Stop trying to prophesy the walls. I'm fine with prophesying the walls down, but don't do it if you're not going to actually do anything. Right? Don't just ask God to do the impossible if you're not actually doing what you can do. Don't ask God for a city to be changed if you're not out actually loving the city in the rhythm of your everyday life. Don't ask God for your family to be restored if you're not doing the practice of restoring your family by the simple practical actions it takes to do that. Don't ask God to heal your finances when you've been putting them in the wrong account the entire time. He's inviting you to follow him by faith in the new spaces by doing what you know how to do, just do it in a different place. Right? See, I can't ask God, this is where I have to be careful with examples, no shame to anyone, because we've all been there. I can't ask God to, God, like, heal my bank account when I'm addicted to buying TVs. I'm, I'm not, by the way, it's just an example. But I can't go like buy a a 70 inch TV and then beg God for the miracle of getting my power bill paid. Right? God, do the impossible. Son, do what's possible. Stop buying TVs. Hit the brake, right? This is where we get stuck though. And then when we live a life of false, false faith and not responsibility, disappointment comes because we feel like God's not coming through. And this is where performance shows up. Because now we have to explain what's the blockage. Why is God, if I believe this to be true about God, why is God not showing up for me? Why is my power getting cut off? Probably because I bought a TV. It's not because he's not faithful, not because he's not good. And sometimes maybe he'll pay the power bill while you're playing Nintendo on your 70-inch uh, TV. And he's just waiting for you to get the, the hint. But so often we're asking God to bail us out for what we're actually responsible for. And he's given us authority over. Amen. So we don't want a faith life where we're just staring at what needs to be done and prophesying about what needs to be done and not actually doing it. Now, you don't have to do it perfectly. But here's the question, what can you do? You can't, I, I can't end world hunger, but what can I do? Like, what's the one thing I can do? That's what God asked these people to do and everything changed, right? I can't part the Red Sea, but, but what can I do, right? Um, Jesus said, if you hear my words but don't practice them, it just doesn't work, right? Hmm. Practice faith versus performance faith is different. Performance faith has this... I have to be careful here too. There's too much careful here this morning. I can't tell if it's the Lord or the enemy. But performance faith comes from this usually... Usually, it has something to prove. It's driven by this need to convince yourself 
and someone else how much to believe. Okay? It's this idea that, hey, man, your power bill wasn't paid because you just didn't believe God enough. Right? Man, God didn't show up or this bad thing happened to you just because you didn't have enough faith. It's this need to prove, usually to myself, what I say I believe, which kind of is the indicator that my belief might be the real issue, right? Performance faith showcases the miraculous. Practice faith showcases Jesus. He's the issue, right? It's not performance-driven. It doesn't have to prove anything. When, I pra- when I'm practicing faith, when I'm responding to faith, It is simply that, the response to what I actually say I believe. And here's what's beautiful about the grace of God. You don't have to crush it. You don't have to get it right. You don't have to be the best prophet. You don't have to get all seven steps to break through and get over the mountain and through the valley and the grandmother's house, all the stuff that we get entangled with. It's so easy to sit with Jesus and realize that you don't have to be enough. Your faith doesn't have to be enough. His is. That's so hard for the church, right? Because we we need to prove to ourselves that he is who he says he is. So I need a miracle, God. I need to showcase something. We need to run a prayer line so we can show everybody you're with us. That's not what he asks us to do at all. He is with us. And when I really believe that, that's why I don't have to showcase the stuff. Because performance faith usually is driven by the need to prove something. But practice faith is a response to what we already believe to be true. Here's another performance faith. Performance faith is usually my will be done. Um, This is the TV realm. This is the things-driven faith, right? It's the prosperity gospel where we're just getting stuff from Jesus. We're having faith for stuff, having faith for a new car, having faith for this, and having faith for... Whatever it is, but the Bible didn't say have faith in things. It says have faith in God. It said, in fact, he says seek first the kingdom and all the things come later. And that doesn't necessarily include TVs, but maybe. But performance faith is focused on getting things, which obviously is broken. But a healthy response and a practice faith revolves around his will being done. This is that moment where you see Peter stepping out of the boat, and here's what he said, Lord, if it is you. In other words, I need to identify first that this is you. Because if it's not you, I don't want to just be doing walking on water just for the sake of walking on water. I want to make sure that it's you, right? Jesus models the same thing. He even says this. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to. He could have done more miracles he could have showcased it could have built his ministry could have been rich in the natural could have wore golden robes and gucci slippers and been on preachers and sneakers and all that cool stuff but jesus did what he saw the father doing why because a response to what you really believe is centered around his will not mine 
performance faith usually is me trying to prophesy into existence what I think God should be doing in the earth. <laughs> ah. Gosh, I have so many bad examples coming through my head this morning that I'm just skipping across. Um, here's the thing. You can't prophesy against those who are on the other political aisle other than you because you think that's what God is doing that's not faith faith that we've been invited into looks like love your neighbor as yourself regardless of which political aisle they're on amen and here's what we do it is a dangerous example and that's why Robin will be back in a few weeks to clean all of this up but here's the thing we, we can't prophesy and cry out to God to fix our nation when we don't do what's possible of loving people in everyday spaces. Because usually we're frustrated with the condition of something, but the truth is we're the ones who pioneered the way to bring it to a condition. By not being, because here's what, here's what the gospel promises. Jesus said the world will know. He literally says the world can be changed. Based on the way that we love one another. They will see a view of the Father based on you doing this. But we get so busy staring at the break and building ministry around the break. And talking about the break and prophesying over the break and yada yada. Meanwhile, we're not loving anyone. And then we want to complain to God about the, about the condition of the world and say, God, do the impossible. And you know what I feel like God says sometimes when it's election season? Love people. Do what's possible. See, until I can love people that I completely disagree with, and it not, it, 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 not a performance love, not the chore of love, but I actually have a value in my heart because I see them the way that the Father does, the best that I can. I genuinely value and care for someone on the, quote, other side. And that's when things change. Now, here's the beauty of this and why it's a good example. You already know how to love. This is just God inviting you to do the same thing you know how to do in a new location. It's easy for me to love my daughter. It's not always easy for me to love someone else. Someone that's not my family, someone that's not my preference, someone that's not my style or my vibe. See, God's love is an invitation to do what you know how to do in a new place. That's when the world changes, right? This is what faith looks like. Performance faith is driven by our will, trying to squeak God into it. But a responsive faith understands, hey man, this is what the Father's doing. I want to follow Jesus in there. One more. Performance faith this is how you know you're stuck in it. It exhausts you. It depletes you of life. Because it's so full of hope being deferred. Because what we do is by faith we set ourselves up for these things that God never said he was actually even going to do. Because we never really took the time to listen to him to say come. I can't tell you how many times in my faith walk I've proceeded without saying, Lord, is it you? 
because I get a Bible verse, man, and it's like ammo in my Rambo belt. And I just go out and I'm like, man, God said it, so we're going to do it. And we just, we get so like just jacked up on spiritual stuff that we just sprint. And so often never take the time to say, but, but Lord, is it you? Because when I, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, there's, there's permission. But performance faith, man, if God's not in it, it's going to exhaust you. It's going to deplete you. And faith is going to feel like a chore rather than this life that we've been invited into. Rather than this blessing, it's going to feel like a chore because it puts the pressure on you to believe enough and to be enough. But a healthy response to faith brings his life into ours. It doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like an invitation that says, Peter, hey, I know this is a weird space and a weird time to ask this of you. But can you just do the thing that you know how to do? Can you just walk out here? Hey, um, man, look, I, this is a tough place, tough time for me to ask, but can you just learn to love your neighbor? I know it's a tough like scenario for you. It's a hard environment, but can you just you understand following Jesus is this standing invitation or he's calling us to do what we already are equipped to do. He invites us to do it in different spaces. That's when things change, right? Jesus changed the world because he was doing miraculous things, but he was also doing very practical things in foreign places. He's talking to a woman at the well. Everyone around him knew how to have a conversation. Jesus is the one who did it. Cultural barriers shattered. Value seen by those who witness. I love the Bible says the disciples left, came back. They saw him talking to the woman. They didn't say anything because you can tell there's cultural tension in the room. Jesus was the one who did what everyone knew how to do, which is love somebody that was on the other side and have a conversation. Everybody knew how to love and talk. But Jesus is the one who did it. He's the one who modeled it. And outcomes changed. The whole scene of Jerusalem shifted because Jesus was doing what he saw the Father do. Not by his own will, but in these locations where God was dispensing heaven into the earth. And what the Father wanted to do in the earth was on the other side of what Jesus could do as the Son. And in that space, heaven and earth were engaging. And the lame walked and the blind saw. See, faith is not a hard chore that we've got to get good at. Practice doesn't mean you have to be great. Like last example, and I'm going to pray for us. When our oldest daughter learned to walk, she was eight months old. And she, I think it was like nine or ten steps she took. And it was like just mind-blowing. Really surreal moment to see your little baby that was rolling around all of a sudden just walk like a human. It's like a Chucky doll came to life. Like It was just kind of like beautiful and also like, whoa, this is weird. She fell down after like nine or ten steps. Um, That's okay. Right? Because the more she practiced, the better she got. And now she walks and she doesn't think about putting one foot in front of the other. 
She doesn't have to think about balancing her weight just right. She doesn't analyze it. She doesn't get exhausted by it. She doesn't have to pray to go into it. She doesn't have to prep for it. She doesn't have to read the Bible before she takes a step. Because the thing that she's practiced has now become part of who she is and how she is. She just gets up and walks. This is what faith should be like. What we believe. Sometimes there are seasons where we just simply have to practice what we say we believe. If you think God will change the world by the way that we love one another, then you need to practice loving one another. It's not that complicated to figure out. It's hard to do sometimes. Not because we don't know how to love, but because we don't know how to love in every space. And that's where God um, modeled something different. But he's inviting us into these places where we don't have to be perfect. Because it's never about you being the best walker on the planet. My daughter, we don't like have a one-year anniversary where we talk about how she's the best walker in the world. Your level of faith isn't impressive to God. That's not what it was ever about. It was about, can you do what you can do and let me do what I can do? Can you let him be him and be trusting enough to just simply do the practical thing that you can do? Because isn't that what it is to follow Jesus? I mean, at the end of the day, (laughs) we can prep ourselves all we want. Get ourselves polished, get really good at faith, get really good at prophecy. But at the end of the day, aren't we just vulnerable in the same spot as everyone else of just needing him to be the thing that we're not? See, faith is about knowing that what I can't do is on the other side of what I can do. And this partnership, this friendship with God, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's this linking up, this sinking with who he is. And God wants to invite us into new spaces to do things that we already know how to do, but will drastically change so many areas of our life if we just know when and where to make the deposit. Amen. I'm going to pray for us, Father. We just, we trust you with what is impossible. God, the spaces of our life that um, maybe for some this morning they need change. Maybe they need breakthrough or something to shift. God, I just pray that you highlight that simple, vulnerable moment that you ask us to come into. God, the world that we live in, we're we're all tugging and arguing about which direction things should go, but at the end of the day, you're the only one who knows. And the one responsibility we have is to learn what it means to love people. A love that we already know how to exercise and practice we just don't know how to do it in every location with every person and God you never said the world would change because everyone agreed with our version of Christianity or how we interpret everything you said the world would be different based on our capacity to love and reveal who the father is and so God I just I pray over anyone this morning that feels the weight of not being enough, that feels this burden of faith rather than this liberty of faith. God, this love and this response that feels like a chore. And God, I pray that you would just replace it 
with that gentle, beautiful, yet challenging invitation just to come. To come and do life the way that you do in life. And last, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just empower us to see what we can't see, to not skip across the moments where you've invited us to walk on water. God, because sometimes it's not always a movie scene. Sometimes it's at Walmart. Sometimes it's in the checkout line that you're inviting me to do something I know how to do in an uncomfortable space. And God, we trust you to be on the other side. We trust you to do what's impossible for us on the other side of what is possible for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.